Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 313 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as ever, by former heavyweight world title challenger himself, Mr. Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing, man? I'm good, my man. How you feeling? Always good when speaking with you, Eddie. It has to be said. Um, I'm going to start here, of course, with the review part of the show, as ever. Uh, we're going to start at the G-Tech Arena in Germany. Over here, one fight to mention. It was a rematch between Robin Krasniki and Dominic Bozel. Krasniki now 51-7. and seven. He lost a split decision after 12 rounds to Dominic Bozel, who's now 32-2. and two. That one was for the IBO World Light Heavyweight title. Scores of 115-114 either way and 116-112 for Bozell. Um... Didn't see the fight, but I believe Krasnicki won the first one, so Bozell's won the second one. Will there be a third? We shall see. It certainly um, is a week of trilogies after the big one we will be speaking about um, soon soon in the in the review part. Let's move now to the Echo Arena in Liverpool, Merseyside, United Kingdom. This one, of course, was on the zone. Um, going to start, of course, with the undercard over here. I'm just unsure of which fight to start with um obviously this show did clash with the the card that took place the frank warren card so there was an eddie hearn card and a frank warren card both clashed and i haven't had the time to watch one back i pretty much had them both on one on the tv one on the ipad and um you know i uh, was just kind of watching them at the same time but prioritizing whichever fight i felt was was better um, so yeah, let's start with the undercard, like I say, and I'm going to mention um, Conway against Metcalf. I think we should start with um, a very, very good fight, and, and obviously, you know, a close one on paper, a close one on the night. Kieran Conway now 17-2 and two with a draw, a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against James Metcalf, now 21-2. and two. Um, As I said, both men had real good fights with Ted Cheeseman. Um, yeah, like I say, really, really uh, good to see all these 154 fighters on one one single card. You know, there's many fights that can be made uh, between all the fighters at 154 in the country, and a lot of them featured on this card. So it was good to see everyone on one evening of boxing. Um, Elsewhere on that card, Shannon Courtney lost a majority decision over 10 rounds to Jamie Mitchell of the US, now 7-0 with a draw, sorry, with two draws, Jamie Mitchell, and she is the new WBA world champion, um, you know, it's a bantamweight title, and, and of course, as we know, Shannon Courtney lost the title on the scales, she missed the weight, and the only fighter that was eligible to win the title was Mitchell, and she did, um, and she did it clearly, to be honest with you, I think, Shannon Courtney now 7-2, and two. Um, yeah, very unexpected, I think Courtney 
was was the favourite by by quite a way on paper. Um, but yeah, she definitely lost the fight, Courtney. Uh, you know, it was really unprofessional of her to weigh in two and a half pounds overweight and lose her title on the scales. Obviously, she she blamed it on her period. I'm a man; I don't know too much about all that stuff there. But her opponent showed her hunger, and it was clear to see. You know, she totally dominated Courtney and. It's been a bad few months for Courtney, you know, she's lost a lot of fans, she's lost her title, and I'm not really sure anyone cares about what she does next. I think she's a good fighter, I'm not a detractor of hers at all, I hope she gets back and they have a rematch, I think there is a rematch clause, and I hope she wins the title back, but she needs to regroup, go back to the drawing board and come back, because something is missing, I'm not sure what it is, but she needs to straighten some things out, and she needs to win that rematch, maybe a trainer change could be something for her, um, I think there is talent there, but certainly something's lacking, but you know what, massive credit to Jamie Mitchell as well, you know, come over from the US, um, a lot older, I think she was about 35, 36, something like that, she's come over here, beaten a champion as an underdog, and she showed quite a bit of class, I felt, throughout the week and on fight night, you know, in, in her performance and her post-fight interview, quite a respectful lady, all the best to her, um, elsewhere on that card, let's talk about um, Robbie Davies Jr., friend of the show now, 21-3, a points, not, not a points win, a TKO in round four against Johnny Phillips, uh, Peter McGraw made his debut with a points win over six against Ed Harrison, now 2-9, and nine. Um, yeah, easy money there, betting on McGraw to win on 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 decision on points um i i went for that one solomon dakers now 3 and 0 a points win over 8 against camille sokolowski now 10 and 23 with two draws really impressed with dakers i didn't see the fight but um you know it has to be said it it was a very risky fight for a professional of only two fights to have at heavyweight especially against someone like Sokolowski they gave him tons of notice he's a guy that likes to come in on short notice and cause lots of problems I remember him dropping Lucas Brown um, you know he's a serious fighter Camille Sokolowski I didn't see the fight like I say but Dakers to pull off the win there very very impressive and it just tells me he's going to have a bright future um, what else do we have on that card we have um, Luke Willis with a win against Ryland Charlton. He was the underdog. Willis had a point deducted as well in the tenth and final round for holding. Ryland Charlton now six and two with a draw. That's two losses, I believe, in a row for him. Uh, I think he lost to Florian Marku and now to Luke Willis. Willis now eleven and zero. Um, it seemed to be a you know a lot of underdogs winning on the weekend. Um, as I've mentioned already here. Shannon, uh, sorry, Jamie Mitchell beating Shannon Courtney, that's one. Luke Willis beating Ryland Charlton, that's another one. Um, Ted Cheeseman losing to Troy Williamson, which I'm going to talk about now. Um, yeah, TKO in round 10 for Troy Williamson, still undefeated now, 17-0 with a draw. He's the new British super welterweight champion. Um, a left hook to the head to finish things. It was a brutal knockout, and I was stunned because Ted Cheeseman is like the toughest man in the world. Now 17-3 and three with a draw, always in a war, Ted Cheeseman. Another fight of the year contender. Um, right up until the final punch of the fight, it was just so grueling and like I say what a knockout um, I never understand because Ted Cheeseman can box he showed it in, in like one fight he can box but he decides to trade every time and every fight is a war and every fight is a fight of the year contender and his punch resistance I think maybe 
is is going, you know. Um, it reminds me a little bit of Sam Eggington in, in, in the respect that they both just have wars every single time. But Eggington, I don't know, it seems like he's kind of... Um, he had a little bit of a down patch in his career. Then he seems like he's got almost like a second wind. And he can now be involved in another bunch of wars. And he looks not not fresh, but he looks able to beat a lot of guys still. Whereas Cheeseman, I think he's burned out very, very quickly. Very, very quickly. And um, I'm not sure how, how much longer he can go on for, if he can at all. Um, but yeah, I did not see him getting knocked out by Williamson. That was a huge shock. Um, anyway, moving up the card once again, uh, Liam Smith with a win, now 30-3 with a draw, a TKO in round 8 against friend of the show, Anthony Fowler, now 15-2, it was for the WBA International Super Welterweight title, Fowler down in the 5th round and in the 8th round, both boxers as well cut on their left eye, um, another really, really, really good fight, um, like I say, Smith was cut. I think it was the first round he was cut. Fowler got cut in the fourth round. Fowler started the fight really well. Um, went down in the fifth. He walked into a right hand. And you could see at that point, after a few rounds, the, the IQ, the boxing IQ of Smith was coming through. And Fowler was in deep water. He came back. He weathered a bit of a storm after being dropped. And the cut was actually worsening for Smith. Um, but yeah, the pressure, though, that Smith puts on... Uh, you know, just pushing Fowler onto the back foot. Such high ring generalship from Smith. He's got that experience. It's just, it's just, you know, you, you can't buy experience. And yeah, the left hook put him down again in the eighth round, and it was a big knockout. It kind of came out of nowhere though, because I felt that Fowler was gaining a little bit of momentum the last couple rounds before the knockout. So um, yeah, a brilliant, brilliant fight for the city of Liverpool. It's a shame one of them didn't support Everton and one of them didn't support Liverpool. They're both Liverpool fans, but that really would have been interesting. But perhaps it wouldn't have been good for the crowd. There could have been a few few fights going on in the crowd if that was the case. But no, brilliant for the for the um, for the city of, of of Liverpool. And yeah, Smith, you know, showed his class, came through with the win, and Anthony Fowler can rebuild, you know. But it is tough. He seems like he hasn't really managed to recapture his his um you know his amateur style or his amateur success he he just it's not really clicking as a professional just yet um anyway that's the liverpool bill done i believe i think that's all for liverpool uh just give me a second um yeah that is it for liverpool uh moving out now to the other card in in birmingham at the utilita arena i think it said um, let's start with the undercard over there. We had Callum Johnson move to 20-1, and one, a majority decision after 10 rounds against Serva Emuleyev, who's now 24-3. and three. Um, It was for the WBO Global Light Heavyweight title. What a shock performance here. I mean, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I really expected Callum Johnson to knock this guy out. Um, you know, I felt for a long time that Callum Johnson was the best 175-pound fighter in Britain. His last two fights, um, well, not his last two, but this fight and the one before that, the two fights he's had since joining Frank Warren really haven't been all that good. Um, this one was really bad, and it was bizarre because his opponent had to lose three pounds within a couple of hours at the weigh-in because he came in overweight. He lost the three pounds somehow, and... Um, 
you know, he, he had been stopped in one of his two losses. He hadn't beaten anyone with any kind of substance. He had a really padded record. And I expected an early knockout for Johnson. A lot of people were even saying one round maximum. They're saying his opponent's totally useless. But Callum Johnson even himself got hurt a few times. I was I was really shocked by his performance. I mean, you know, it was very shaky. It was a bad look. And it's left me thinking he needs a title shot now or never. Because he does have a big punch, but he's getting hit too much. Um, you know, he looks really flat-footed. And I would say he looks there for the taking. I hope I'm wrong. But he did not look good, and it's been two on the bounce now. He's coming off, obviously, a lot of inactivity. But boy, oh boy, he, he kind of reminds me of a fighter who's got who's still got that big punch, but he's very beatable. And I understand that that could be getting ahead of myself there, but he looked that bad, flat-footed, running out of ideas. If he couldn't get him out in a couple of rounds, everything was tight. He lost a bunch of rounds to this guy who, like I say, lost three pounds at the weigh-in. I mean, he should have been completely dehydrated, that guy, and he should have never been able to take those shots for 10 rounds and make it close and hurt Johnson several times. Oh, boy. I mean, he almost reminds... I'd like to see him fight Kovalev, Callum Johnson. I mean, he almost reminds me of Kovalev because I feel like Kovalev is, you know, a, a guy at the tail end of his career, but he's still got that big punch. Callum Johnson reminds me a little bit of that, but obviously he doesn't have the power on the same level as Kovalev, I wouldn't have thought, and he also hasn't won a world title yet, and he doesn't, you know, he hasn't had tons of fights, really, but I don't know what's going on with him, I think he's getting up there in age as well, and he might just be a little bit past it, I mean, his opportunity against Baturbiev, maybe that was the the right time, and the only time for him, because... Yeah, I, I I don't know. I, I picked him massively over a yard, over a Craig Richards, over a Lyndon Arthur, over a Boatsy. Now I'm not so sure based on those two last performances. Not one, but two. They have been shaky. Um, let's talk about now uh, Liam Davies moving to 11-0. and 0, A unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Dixon Flores. Now 17-8 and 8 with three draws. That one was for the vacant WBC International Silver Super Bantamweight title. I expected Liam Davies to get the stoppage, to be honest, because, you know, he was coming off of um, some good momentum, really. Um, but yeah, he's, he's improving all the time. He's still young. He said that he had his tooth wobbled at one point. Um, I don't know if that bothered him or whatever, but yeah, you know, he was in good form going into the fight and Dixon Flores has been knocked out a few times. Um, but yeah, very good learning fight. Every round he had to hustle his way to winning the round though. I, I, I'm not sure where his ceiling is, but he has a bright future, I think. I mean, he, like I say, still young. And um, it was almost like the perfect kind of fight, really, for him to, um, you know, to move to the next stage. It was a bit of a step up. So, yeah, I'm not knocking him in any way. I think he, he did okay. Um, elsewhere on that card, um, Echo Essiman. Oh, boy, oh, boy. 16-0 and now. A knockout in round six against Danny Ball, who was undefeated 10-0. and Now 10-1 and with a draw. This one was for the Commonwealth, British, and IBF European welterweight title. Um, Ball was hit with a left-right combination. He suffered He suffered a double fracture of his jaw. Um, I did not see this one coming. I even said it on last week's show that it's probably safe money to put a bet on this one guy in the distance. Boy, oh boy, was I wrong. Um, so impressive from Esserman, who has has had to really do it on the small hall kind of circuit since turning pro. He was a good amateur. Um, I want to see him, you know, 
I want to see him signed by a big promoter and put in big fights because he clearly has, you know, has the talent. And yeah, to do that to Danny Ball, who I think is a very tough fighter, very good fighter, uh, it was highly impressive from Essam and he completely dominated the fight and got the stoppage. So I'm really pleased for him. Um, so yeah, another, another, another big win there. Another unexpected thing in my head anyway. Um, Let's talk about the main event. Brad Foster, he lost his O. He's now 14-1 and with a draw. A unanimous decision over 12 rounds for Jason Cunningham. He seems to be that Cinderella man a little bit. He reminds me of a Maxi Hughes um, and a couple of other guys who I can't think of at the minute. But yeah, just completely underappreciated. And here he stepped in against a very, very bright prospect. Uh, Brad Foster, obviously for the EBU European Commonwealth and British Bantamweight title and in the end fairly wide for Jason Cunningham I have to hold my hands up and say I didn't actually catch much of this fight at all and that's because it clashed with I think it was Smith Fowler or something like that at the time so I wasn't watching it but um yeah I I'm I'm, I'm upset for um for, for for Brad Foster who like I say was really impressive against Lucian Reed looked really explosive and powerful very strong and you know it's upsetting for him because I'm not sure where he goes. He's got a few draws. I mean, it's not the end for him by any means, but he needs to tread carefully now, you know, because even though he had a couple of draws, I think he won at least one of them draws anyway. It shouldn't have been a draw, but, you know, he stepped up and he's been pushed along, I guess, quite quite quickly fighting for the European this early on. But, yeah, he has to be careful. You know, he doesn't want another draw. He doesn't want another loss. I'm not sure where he goes immediately, but there are some big fights for him domestically. But got to give it to Jason Cunningham again. I mean, boy, oh boy, he's beaten Gamal Yafai now and Brad Foster in a row. I mean, he is up there with British domestic level fighter of the year like Maxi Hughes. Um yeah, credit to both men. I'm really pleased when I see this kind of thing happen. And once again, that's another underdog winning a fight, you know, because he was the underdog, um, despite being the European champion, Jason Cunningham. Really, really pleased for him. Um, and moving now, I think that's everything for that. I think we're now going to move stateside. Yes, we are. We're going to go to the big one now at the T-Mobile Arena, Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. It was on Fox pay-per-view. It was on BT Sport pay-per-view. Um, right, let's start with the undercard. Um, Jared Anderson now 10-0, and a TKO in round two against Vladimir Tereshkin, who was 22-0 with a draw himself. It was for the NABF junior heavyweight title. I'm not sure what that one's about. Um, I don't think Tereshkin is much of a junior, especially when they announced that he had sparred both Vitali and Vladimir Klitschko. Um, but yeah, very pleased for Anderson. Very impressive to get his man out in just two rounds. He's a friend of the show. I've always said he's one to watch. He's only 21. And yeah, he beat an experienced six foot six Southpaw who turned pro back in 2007 when Anderson was only seven years of age. So that is very impressive, impressive from Jared Anderson. I can't wait to see him back out again. Uh, Rabisi Ramirez, the the um, 2016 Olympian, I think it was. He's now eight and one, a unanimous decision over ten against the previously undefeated 17 and oh Orlando Ruiz. Um, who's now 17-1. and one. It was almost a shutout, really, for Ramirez. I think he seemed to, you know, 
everything's clicking for him now as a pro. He, he suffered that early loss, I think, on his debut. And since then, he has really, really improved. I'm pleased for him. Um, friend of the show, Julian J. Rock Williams, now 27-3 and three with a draw. He came back after almost two years out the ring since losing by knockout in Philly in a homecoming, losing his world title to Jason Rosario. He was back here against Vladimir Hernandez, who... Had a record of 12-4, and four, now 13-4. and four. A, a split decision after 10 rounds for Hernandez. Um, yeah, the rightful winner, Hernandez. I was absolutely shocked with what I was seeing. Um, I, was, I was happy that they didn't rob Hernandez because he certainly deserved it. Um, I think J-Rock could be finished. I mean, people were calling for him to retire. It's very sad because I think he was a good fighter who burned out very quickly. But he did have a couple of big fights. But I don't know that... I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's just, it's all gone wrong very, very quickly. Um, I remember him coming through on the scene, banging people out. He was so exciting. And then, yeah, he, it's just turned around very quickly. Won a world title, did very well to win it. Loses to Banana and now loses to this guy here who he should have never, ever lost to. Very sad for him. Um, moving on. Moving on. Um, let's talk about now the rematch between Robert Hellanius and Adam Kalnaki. Hellanius now 31-3. and three. A TKO in round 6 against Kalnaki now 20-2. and two. Where on earth does Kalnaki go from here? Friend of the show. Sad to see it happen to him. Um, he was caught and hurt in the first round, Kalnaki. And his eye swole up. Um, I was shocked that the fight went as far as it did. They gave Kalnaki every chance to try and turn it round. Uh, he probably won one round in the entire fight. He had a point deducted as well. He completely couldn't see. And again, like I say, I'm not sure where he goes. I'm very happy for Hellenius, who seems like he is, um, you know, I think he said something about he wasn't really in the right frame of mind for a lot of his career. And he seems so confident now. And, you know, he's he's like a, a born-again fighter. It does almost seem that way. I'm pleased for him because he hasn't had the easiest of careers. He's pretty much been an opponent. Um, but yeah, even in the rematch, he was the underdog. So once again, another underdog win on Saturday evening. Um, but yeah, gutted for Kaunaki. I mean, God, I'm not sure what happens. He's, he's just been exposed, I think, over the two fights. I mean, not so much the, the, the first one. He was probably winning when he got stopped. But this one here, he just could not get close. He was in trouble from the first round, like I say. Um, Edgar Belanga with a win, now 18-0, very close again. I mean, this guy knocked out 16 people in a row in the first round, and since then he's gone the distance twice, very unexpected, and he just about nicked it. I mean, he was down himself in round 9 against Marcelo Esteban Caceres, former opponent of Billy Joe Saunders. And Billy Joe Saunders, by the way, had some problems with this guy, but he ended up stopping him, and Billy Joe Saunders doesn't really stop anyone, so I felt that Belanga would get him out of there somewhere around the mid-round, something like that. And he said he, he was going to steal the show, Belanga, and he did everything or anything but steal the show. Um, but yeah, I expected him to, to get him out. Some people felt it was going to be really, really early. Belanga did start the fight quite well early on, but... Yeah, to get dropped by a non-puncher like this, it doesn't look good, and it was very close in the end. Um, yeah, you know, he was expected to beat these two guys in a row really easy. I mean, he, he was supposed to beat this guy easily. He was supposed to beat, uh, who was it that took him the distance? Um, I think it was Demond Mickelson. 
And yeah, he's, he's, he's had a lot of trouble with both of these guys now. Um, and elsewhere on the card, Effia Jagba lost his O against Frank Sanchez, who's now 19-0. He defends um, his unbeaten streak. One man had to lose their O. It was Effia Jagba of Nigeria. Um, down in round seven, a Jagba it was for the WBC Continental America's heavyweight title and the WBO NABO heavyweight title. Um, I secretly fancied a Jagba to win, but obviously I got it quite wrong. Um, I didn't see much of this fight. I've got to hold my hands up. I only saw a few rounds. It looked pretty good, um, you know, while it lasted. Um, but yeah, it seems like Frank Sanchez in the end was the rightful winner quite wide in the end after the 10. Um, but yeah, that's it for all of that. We're now going to move on to the big one. Tyson Fury now 31-0 with one draw. Still undefeated. He knocked out in round 11. Deontay Wilder now 42-2 with a draw. Wilder down in round 3. Fury down twice in round 4. Wilder down in round 10. And then Wilder down for the final time. Down and out in round 11. I'm going to come to you first, Eddie, for this one. And then I'm going to say my piece. It was such a brilliant fight. One of the best heavyweight fights we We've seen probably in history, maybe, but certainly it's, it's one of the best fights of the year. No doubt about it, man. Uh, I was watching it and it was thoroughly impressed with obviously, you know, the, the, the guts on both ends. You know what I mean? Like to just, and, and you know, we, we talk about Wilder and his ability or lack thereof, uh, skill, you know, skill wise. But he does have a world-class heart and a, and a serious, serious right hand. So as, as bad as he may have looked in certain spots for certain techni techniques, he showed what uh, – he showed class with his heart by really putting it on the line and giving us one of the, one of the better fights we've, we've seen in a long time, especially heavyweight in the heavyweight division. So um, as far as how I looked at it, I mean, I, I – Kind of figured that Tyson would probably mix it up a little bit with the ins and the outs a little bit. You know, definitely put the pressure on once he started to get, once once Deontay started to get a little weakened and tired. And I think we talked about it a little bit last week. Deontay Wilder trying to be, trying to put on that extra muscle and be a little bit heavier uh, was definitely something that was going to work against him. And what I felt, because I understand what it's like when you're heavily muscled. And it takes it takes more to fuel it. You know what I mean? It takes more energy. And and he's been so so light and 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 I don't want to say fluid, but he's been so light and and able to move comfortably and freely without having any extra weight on his on his body for most of his career. Then all of a sudden now, because Tyson was mauling him <laughs> in the second fight, and you know really just overwhelming him he figured oh well let me put on another 10 pounds to help me and it's like well the reason that you survived i think and, and, and did well in some spots the first fight was because you were able to move better you were able to be a bit faster on your feet and to do a few things that you really wasn't able to do in the second fight why because you put another 10 pounds on thinking that that was going to help you uh deal with size with the size difference and it's just not that way if, if, and I know Tyson. I've been in camp with him, and he says when he he went into uh, what he liked to call the English style, which is come forward with your hands high and and put pressure, put on pressure. 
And with a guy as big as he is and as strong as he can be and, 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 as, uh, and as busy as he is, it's really, really difficult to deal with. So, and me being heavier didn't really assist me with anything like that. It was just, it was, it was still gonna, it was still gonna be difficult. He's still what 40 or 50, 40 pounds heavier than Deontay. So it was really, really, I think, an error in judgment with adding the weight. I think he should have just came in comfortable and and, and does what he do, and, and did what he do best and look for that big right hand. Uh, the strategy early on with going to the body with the jabs and stuff like that. Interesting. Looked to be somewhat effective, moderately effective. But once Tyson got the range, he started fainting him. Deontay was just off, off pace, off beat the entire time. If you look at different times when Tyson would let the jab go, especially the heavy jab, he had no clue how to deal with it. So as much as he might have improved in certain spots, and, and, the and the strategy was a little bit better early on, it was still the same old Deontay looking for the right hand, which, I mean, that's his best shot, especially against a seasoned guy like Tyson. And um, But I, you, would, you would have hoped if you would have been a supporter of Deontay Wilder that he would have found a few more things or utilized a few more things, at the very least, a little bit better on his feet and a little bit better defensively. But it's kind of hard to all of a sudden pick those things up late on in your career when you're so used to just knocking people out with one with one punch. So, you know, it's just unfortunate for him. But it was it was more of what I expected, with the exception of the fourth round, which Joey, I got to tell you, pissed me off extremely, extremely, extremely bad. And the reason it did is because I'm looking at Tyson. I'm like, yo, you have every tool in the toolbox. You don't really need to give this guy his only opportunity. And what did he do? He gave him his only opportunity. Now, granted, it's not hard to get hit with a shot that you don't see or expect. Or even if you see it, you just kind of mis mistime it or misjudge it. It's very, this is boxing, people get hit. I understand that. But we all know what his shot, what his only opportunity is. And that's to land with the right hand and knock Tyson out to win. Now, I'm happy in a, in a way because it showed what class he has as a, a class class Tyson has as not just a great boxer, but he's also have, he also has a world-class heart as well. And the ability to recover and come back and also the conditioning level as well. So that he had to show all of those things, but in reality, I feel like he didn't need to, you know what I mean? If it was me and if I was in this corner out, I'm glad Sugar Hill was able to do what he did and, and, and motivate him and keep him going. And, you know, they did the right thing in camp by being in shape and doing, you know, and, and just in general strategy, everything that went down, it was it was almost perfect. But if I'm there, I'm pissed off. I'm, I'm looking at him like, why the f I don't want to say this on, but why in the world are you giving this man his only opportunity? You could shut him out and stop him and still stop him and still make the fight look good. But you're giving him an opportunity to be in the fight because you want to show the toughness. You want to show your, your, your how, how big your balls are. And that's okay. I get it. But when there's all this stuff on the line, your legacy's on the line, your life is on the line, this is, dude is dangerous. 
You don't need to be sitting on that line for any length of time just because you feel like you can. Let's win the fight going away and then stop him late. You know he can't stand up under you after all that time. I don't, I don't mind the smothering and, and, and the roughhouse tactics. I like that. But at the same time, I don't want you sitting in no man's land, which is in range for his right hand, waiting for it to come. That's not my idea of a good point. That was the only beef the entire fight that I had with Tyson was that. But uh, other than that, masterful performance. Uh, I mean, he's been up. He obviously showed much better boxing than some other fights, you know. But but this was specifically for uh, this this specific fighter. So you fight, you know, to the competition, not necessarily down, but fight for the competition. You know what he's bringing to the table, so you know what you have to do in order to win. So I felt like in that in that instance, the strategy was good. They did what they were supposed to do. They won the fight. I just would have liked to not seen him get caught with that shot and put down twice when it didn't have to happen. Yeah, and as you said last week, you know, your only fear was that Tyson Fury might get a little bit overconfident. It seemed like that was the case, you know, at times in the fight. He did get hit a lot. Um, I want to go through the fight, you know, from round one to the final round in round 11. Obviously, the first round was, was was a tight round. I actually gave it to Wilder. I felt that Fury landed a lovely right hand uh, that seemed to bother Wilder a tiny bit at the you know the very last second. But for me, Wilder did more of the work in round one. Round two, some people gave this to Wilder, but I gave it to Fury. I didn't think there was much in it. Wilder did come close with a couple of right hands. You know, it was edge of the seat stuff for the whole thing like literally my hands were shaking um I, I get so nervous watching fury fight especially when it's in with a puncher like wilder um obviously round three a huge round down goes wilder um i felt that fury was actually in a little bit of danger himself before the shot landed and obviously wilder when he got dropped he got saved by the bell um it was a right hand over the you know behind the ear uh, similar to the shot that put him down in the second fight, the first knockdown in the second fight. Uh, and then round four, when everyone's kind of expecting Fury to come out and maybe finish Wilder because he got saved by the bell, down Fury goes. And it was out of nowhere. And Fury, as you say, you know, got too overconfident. Uh, you know, he was lucky, I think, to have not been hit a lot cleaner as well because he, he took it kind of flush, but it could have been cleaner. And his, his, his hands weren't really coming up to defend himself, particularly with the second one. Um, they both looked quite tired as well at that point. Um, and I think it was like a, like a temple shot as well. Um, the second knockdown was, was, was kind of messy. I can't remember what punch it was now, but yeah, he seemed to be in whole, a whole heap of trouble in round four Fury. Round five Fury came out. I think he won the round. There wasn't much in it, but Wilder, um, wasn't really connecting with, with big shots. He was coming close. It was scary, but Fury did seem to have his wits about him. You know, he, he had a clear head. Round six, I gave to Fury. Round seven, Fury was doing a lot of leaning, landing better shots. Wilder looked really tired. He was fighting in bursts, but again, those bursts contain the one-two, and as long as he can throw a right hand, he is dangerous till the end, Mr. Wilder. I felt the referee, Russell Mora, was doing everything he could to try and... Um, you know, uh, go against Fury, whether it was like slapping Fury on the back to break him up for some reason. I don't know why he kept doing that. He, every time he'd break them apart, he'd push Fury onto onto his back foot. I didn't like the refereeing from Russell Moore. It seemed very biased, in my opinion. 
Um, I haven't seen anyone else mention that. I just felt he was way too hands-on with Fury, t- telling him off about things when he could have told Wilder off many times for uh, just little things. Every 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 um, chance he could get to put hands on Fury or tell him off, he did. Round eight, a Fury round. Wilder again showed what an unbelievable chin he's got. Fury was pouring it out. Wilder, like I say, still dangerous in round eight. Um, getting through with some right hands, but Fury... Uh, was either taking them better at that point or Wilder's power just wasn't what it was in the earlier rounds. Uh, Round 9, Wilder was totally spent. Fury was struggling to put the right shots together. He looked there for the take in Wilder. Um, I had no idea how he was still on his feet. Wilder landed a lovely uppercut as well in the the dying seconds, a a right hand in that ninth round. Um, Round 10, down goes Wilder. It was a right hand, of course, that put him down. He got back up. He looked completely gone. Then he lands a big flurry at the end, and it looked like Fury was in trouble a little bit there. It was just such a crazy fight. Lots and lots of swings and roundabouts. And then round 11, I mean, wow, the drama. Wilder obviously got hurt early on, and I was watching it, and I said... He's going to go. He's going to go down. He might get back up, but he's going to go down. And and literally 10 seconds later, down he went, down and out. The towel could have came in, I felt, before the knockout, to be honest with you. I'm not sure that they would have thrown the towel in, of course, after all the uproar for the towel coming in in the second fight. But, um, yeah, his ear was bleeding again. It was, it was a clean knockout. He fell face first. And um, I'm delighted to see he wasn't permanently not permanently but you know i'm glad to see there wasn't no after effects with with the the punch and i think he went to hospital just to be checked over i believe he's completely fine happy to hear that because it was a brutal brutal fight um and yeah i'm so happy of course for tyson fury to get that win we never need to talk about fury wilder again he did what he set out to do he got the knockout win in great fashion and all he has to do now i mean he could retire right now i think For me, he didn't even have to beat Wilder on this occasion to prove to me he's the best heavyweight in the world. But for some reason, beating him again here has has made people further believe that he's a great champion. I don't know why. He completely steamrolled him last time. Um, You know, he didn't need to go down and get back up to prove that. He's already done that many times. I didn't really learn anything more about Fury. You know, he just he just proved once again that he's so he, he is so hard to beat, which I already knew. He's he's been down, got back up, won a fight by a knockout before. He's been down from a bomb off Wilder before and got back up. He's beaten Wilder before. I didn't learn anything new. But if this is what people needed to see in order to make them think that he's better than they thought, then whatever. Good, you, you've caught up with us finally. Um, yeah, you know, he's, he's better than Joshua. Uh, that's not even a contest, in my opinion. I mean, it's a contest, but I've always said he'd beat Joshua. Um, I, I think Usyk's too small for him. I don't think he needs to do anything to prove that he's the best heavyweight in the world. But if he were to fight Joshua, he beats him. If he were to fight Usyk, he beats him. And I don't think they're 50-50 fights. I don't think they're 60-40 fights. I think they're 70-30 or 80-20, both of them. Um, I think yep. he beats them both quite comfortably. Um, we spoke a lot about the Fury fight there, Eddie. I just wanted to ask if you had anything to add to any of those undercard fights. Obviously, I mentioned Sanchez, Jagbar, I mentioned Kalnaki and Hellenius. If you want to say absolutely anything about any of those fights or any other fights you saw, then um, you know, say it now before we wrap up part one and welcome our guest. Well, the first kid we talked about was the one that, uh, what's it, the, the 21-year-old Jared kid. Anderson, actually, oh boy. He actually looked... I was like, oh, hey, and I, I was wondering, was he my size? Or 
But he turns out that he's 6'4". I was like, wow, this is a big kid that moves like that. Like, that's not bad. He looked really impressive in certain spots. Now, granted, I mean, obviously, this is still early. And, you know, the opponent, even though the opponent had a lot of experience, he was somewhat of a big, I don't want to, dare I say, mummy. He wasn't. He wasn't just standing there or anything like that. He, like you said, we, like you said, he had experience. But I think the kid was just too mobile, just too, just too athletic for him. Um, I would have to see him later on, later on, with somebody with more experience and a little bit better technically. So, um, as far as the uh, the uh, uh, Hellenius and, and Galnaki fight, man, uh, I, I feel bad for Kalnaski. I think he's, I think he's like. He's hit a he's hit a serious block with this with with Hellenius. you know what I mean? He's so used to being able to overwhelm guys, and Hellenius just was able to stand his ground, move in spots, land counter shots. I think it was because Hellenius is a big enough puncher, especially with the right hand, that it held him at bay a little more in his jab too. And you can't just always walk guys down. You have to walk them down with head movement. You got to make. You got to make him a little uncertain about landing shots too. You can't just overwhelm everybody, and I think that's where he run into that roadblock. So it's it's kind of rough for him. And then FAA Jacob, I've always said this about uh, about him is that as good as he may be, is is as highly touted as he is from from most that that watch him. I feel like he is just a little bit. It's like he would benefit from being more like a Deontay Wilder. I know you're saying, what the hell are you talking about? But what I'm saying is he's so unorthodox. Deontay Wilder is so unorthodox and powerful, but but then powerful enough his, that his unorthodoxness, if that's a word, makes it easier for him to land shots because people are really un they're unsuspecting how it's going to come. Comes from weird angles. He comes at weird times just because he's not he's not a normal basic fighter. But if you look at FAA Jaguar, he is. He has a decent amount of skills, but very very basic. One punch at a time, maybe two. Plotting not fast. You know what I mean? He's big target. It's very difficult for me to look at him and then say, you see Frank Ch- Sanchez, and then say. Oh, he's gonna beat Frank Sanchez. No, I just, I just never would. Frank Sanchez is a Cuban heavyweight from the Cuban background. He, he's gonna move. He's gonna have more technical ability. He's gonna be a little bit faster. Uh, well, a lot faster, obviously, in this situation, and and creative with his angles and and movement and different things. And I just saw it coming. I, the only thing about Frank Sanchez that bothered me is he moved. He moved a little too much. I feel like he took away. There was there was so much more that he could have been doing. He didn't need to use that much range the entire time. And he made there wasn't a lot going on. I felt like in that fight in general, like the, if you watch it, and I watched it almost like without sound because I was watching it in Russian because for whatever reason I couldn't buy it, and uh, and I had to to try to stream it. And it was um, I saw and it was in Russian for whatever reason where I was at. So where I'm at. So I couldn't really hear, you know, the commentary normal, the normal commentary and all of that, nor the punches. The volume wasn't really that loud. So it was almost like watching it without sound. And if you would have watched it like that, you would have seen what I'm talking about. There just wasn't a lot going on. Periodically, he would land good shots and he would do the stuff that he can do, uh, the talent that he has, the ability that he has. And once again, you look at a Jaguar and he's just, 
He's watching. He's just standing there watching. He's walking him down. He's trying to be, you know, on, on his case, and he's trying to throw big shots and trying to counterpunch, but that's just really not his game. He's a come-forward destroyer. I'm just going to beat you down with one, maybe two punches, and I'm eventually going to get a highlight real knockout. That's not how it is in the high level. Once you move up to the higher level, you got to have different elements. And I think that's where he's going to really struggle. You know what I mean? But Frank Sanchez, he's just got to cut down some of the movement, get involved. I mean, kind of get involved, but not putting yourself off, but don't put yourself out there to get hit. But don't, don't, not moving too much because that's going to really, people aren't going to want to see that. That's just my opinion. It's, it's going to be, it's, it's a little too crazy. The difference between him and Ortiz is Ortiz got involved. He still is a good boxer, but he got involved. And I think Sanchez needs to take a, a, a bigger page out of Ortiz's book and not go crazy with the movement. That's, that was, uh, that's pretty much what I've seen. All good fights. The car, I mean, well, all interesting fights. Car was stacked. I was happy that I was able to see it. Well, there we go. There is Fast Eddie's analysis of last Saturday night's events. That is it, though, for the review part of the show. The final thing for me to do just before we wrap up part one is to welcome our sole guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the new British super welterweight champion. It is, of course, Mr. Troy Williamson. Troy, welcome to the show, my man. Hello, man. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? Very good, very good that I'm speaking with you. Um, I, w- I want to obviously start with what happened Saturday night in Liverpool. Uh, sum up the fight for me, if you can, Troy, from your point of view inside the ropes. Um, I thought it was a, a very a very close fight while I was in, when I was in there. Um, very competitive fight. We knew, we knew what sort of champ- what sort of fighter Ted was, great champion, uh, and I knew that I had to be on my A game, which I was. Um, yeah, I'm really pleased with the with the result and extremely pleased with the ending. First person to, to stop the achievement and to do it in brutal fashion, which is always good for the for the fans on the outside watching. And I've got to say, I mean, I didn't expect you to knock Cheeseman out. I didn't think it was possible for anyone to knock Ted Cheeseman out. He's such a tough guy. Um, obviously, you deserve huge amounts of credit, not only for that left hand that finished him, but for your entire performance, especially being the underdog in this one as well. Yes, I've, uh, yeah, a lot of people doubted me. A lot of people doubted my capabilities. That's just basically because... I've not had a chance to showcase what I'm all about. I've not had the exposure and I've not had the... Uh, I've not been like, promoted properly, if I'm completely honest. So to get the exposure and to get the opportunity and to do what I did in, 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 the, in the fashion that I did it in, it's got a lot of people talking. And obviously now I'm getting the recognition that I truly believe that I deserve. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, obviously, Cheeseman has always had that style where every fight is a war, every fight is a fight of the year contender. Uh, but of course, yeah. every fight puts significant miles on his clock. Your win over him, Troy, has got people now saying he should perhaps hang up the gloves. Um, do you do you have any thoughts on that at all? Uh, I'm not Ted Cheeseman, so I don't know how he feels. Um, he should have. His team should know. Him and his team and his family and close friends should obviously they should know when it is time to hang up the gloves. Um, I can't comment on that because I'm not him. I'm not part of his team. But uh, I, first I've heard, to, be, to tell you the truth, 
Yeah. I think he put out a post where he said he's going to, you know, spend some time away from the gym, have a long think about what his next move uh, will be. And a lot of people, I guess, are speculating. Um, anyways, winning that Lonsdale belt, Troy, what does that mean to you? Obviously, the, the title has such history behind it. Uh, yeah, how does it feel? What does it mean? Oh, it's a dream come true. I said before, like, for any British boxing dream coming with a British champion. So, yeah, to, to do that and to beat a great champion instead, I'm, uh, I'm really pleased. Yeah, you mentioned there about it being a stepping stone. I was going to say, some people use the British title as a springboard to see how far they can jump. They win a British title, yeah. they want to jump straight into a world title fight like um, like Craig Richards did against Bivol, let's say. But um, others don't do this. Some people attempt to win the belt outright. Obviously, you've got a world ranking. Do you know at the moment what your immediate plan will be? No, I don't have a clue. Obviously, at the minute, I'm just going to have a well-deserved little break. I'll have a couple of weeks out of the gym. Um, and then, yeah, sit down with my team and see, see what happens next. And you said that you felt you'd been promoted, you know, not promoted good enough, I guess. I wanted to ask you, obviously, you wound up on an Eddie Hearn show here. Are you no longer with Frank now? No, that's just because Eddie Hearn won the first bids. That's, yeah. that, that's, all, that's, that's all that was. So you're still with Frank? I'm having talks with my future at the minute. Okay, okay. And yeah. what was fantastic about that card in Liverpool on Saturday was that it showcased six of our best super welterweights in the country. Obviously, you, Cheeseman, Fowler, uh, Liam Smith, uh, uh, Conway, Metcalf. Do you have any any interest in fighting any of those guys? Obviously, you've also got the likes of the undefeated um, Hamza Shiraz, Scott Fitzgerald. It's such a brilliant scene domestically. Yeah, the Super World Weight Division domestically and on the world scene is fire. The, it's, yeah, it's the best division out there, if, in, in my opinion. Um, yeah, of course, I have, I, I have plans of fighting them guys. Um, I'm, I'm not one to uh, put down on, a, on an opportunity. Um, all great fights and whichever one makes sense, then that's, like, we'll take that one. Um, I've, I've just seen that Fowler's moving up to middleweight. Mm-hmm. So that that, that that one's out the window. But um, yeah, all, all the others that you mentioned are all great fights. And ideally, Troy, obviously, you know, it was it was a great fight the other night. You know, you delivered shots, you took some shots as well. It wasn't the easiest of nights for, for either yeah. of you. Um, how soon could you be out, ideally, back to 100%? When would that be? Um, it would be nice to get back out just before Christmas. Um, okay. would be nice, but like I said, obviously, I'll, I'll have a couple of weeks off and then we'll I'll, I'll sit down and see where where we go. But yeah, it'd be nice to, to get out before Christmas and then I can enjoy Christmas. Otherwise, I'm training over Christmas, ready to be fighting maybe what January, February. So we'll see. And I want to ask you as well a few a few hours after your fight. Um, were you pumped enough from your win in order to stay up for the big one stateside Fury Wilder or did you sleep and miss it all? <laughs> yeah, I watched it the following morning. Uh, unbelievable, wasn't it? Another great fight. Yeah. What, do you want to give a little more insight? I mean, what did you make of the actual fight itself? Obviously, Fury just yeah, once thought, again. I, I, unbelievable. I thought, yeah, very, very entertaining fight. Um I predicted the outcome. I thought Fury would win by TKO. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was 
fight. Yeah, no, it really was. I think for, uh, for, for my take, I believe it's probably the best of the three. Yeah, I'd say it was. Um, yes, just before we wrap it up, Troy, if you've got any closing words, if you want to say anything at all to the listeners, uh, if you want to thank any sponsors, just completely say what you like before we wrap it up, my friend. The floor is yours. Yeah, I would like to thank all my sponsors um, that have been with me since day one. They all know they are. And all my supporters, I've got a great following. Um, I took around all five, six hundred people down to Liverpool. Uh, most Everybody stayed over, spent the, the hard-earned money to come watch me have a fight. Stayed over. So, yeah, it was a, a pretty expensive weekend for most, but they've done that because, obviously, they love coming to watch me fight and the sport's unbelievable. Back at home, I had the full of the northeast behind me. All of that out and then Teesside, Middlesbrough. So I can't thank. I'm still trying to get through all the messages now. I've got WhatsApp messages and social media messages that I haven't even opened because there's too many. But I will get back to everybody. It just takes time. So I'd just like to give a big, massive thank you to everybody that supported me. No, you deserve it. Absolutely, Troy. You really deserve it. I'm sure anyone that spent their hard-earned cash to get to Liverpool and watch you fight felt that it was worth absolutely every penny. But listen, Troy, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Congrats again on the epic win, and I hope we can speak again real soon. Yes, thank you very much. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. We're going to start with this one here. Frank Warren has signed David Avenesian to his stable. So that means that, um, uh, you know, that David Avenesian signed with a big promoter. It looked like he was going to be working with Eddie Hearn. That one seemed to not pan out after he beat Josh Kelly. And, of course, he boxed the other day um, on that on that boxer card he's now signed with frank warren straight away frank warren has sent a large offer to connor ben for avanesian to fight connor ben i think they're waiting at the moment to hear back from matram what a fight that would be all the best to david avanesian really nice guy um moving out now to this one here it's taking place on the 26th of november in dubai it's an mtk show i believe uh, or D4G Boxing, I think, is uh, is is the promotional stable. I think they, I'm sure they're linked with with MTK. But anyways, on this card, we're going to see O'Hara Davies take on Ishmael Barroso. Uh, we're going to see Badu Jack return to the ring at cruiserweight. He's moving up and wait to take on Johnny Muller. I think he's way too small for cruiserweight. Badu Jack. Um, also on the card, we get to see uh, Rocky Fielding and a few others, so that's that's cool there. Uh, again, the date for that is November 26th. Um, Zach Parker takes on Marcus Morrison on the 6th of November. That one's going to be taking place in Birmingham. I might actually make the trip for that one there. Um, should be a good card. I think there's a there's a few guys on the undercard as well. Uh, Lennox Clark, he is having his first fight since knocking out Willie Hutchinson, uh, Nathan Heaney on the card as well. Um, yeah, should be a decent one there in Birmingham. Um, Arta Baturbiev is defending his light heavyweight titles against Marcus Brown, December 17th, I believe that's a Friday, and it's going down there um, in in Montreal, Canada, at the, at the Bell Centre, so... Interesting fight there, Baturbiev Brown. Very, very, very good one. I actually think I might favour Brown in that one, believe it or not. And in other news, um, a fight card that's been announced for the 20th of November in Wembley. 
Um, on the card, we have Caroline Dubois making her debut. We've got Florian Marku defending his IBF international welterweight title. We've got Richard Riatpour taking on Olan Rawaju Duradola. That one for the WBC Silver Cruiserweight title. That's a tough fight back there for Riatpour, especially after not looking too good the other week. And I believe the top of the bill is Hosea Burton, 26-2 against Dan Aziz, 14-0 for the vacant British light heavyweight title. So some great fights been announced there. But anyway, that's it for the news part of the show. Moving on now to the preview part. We're going to start here with a card that takes place tomorrow at the Pechanga Arena in San Diego, California, USA. Over here for the WBO featherweight world title, Emmanuel Navarrete, very good fighter, 34 and 1 in a 12 rounder against Joet Gonzalez, 24 and 1. Of course, Gonzalez' sole loss came to Shakur Stevenson um, in a world title fight. He's back. Um, he's an underdog. I'm expecting Navarrete to have way too much for Gonzalez. Not sure he'll stop him, but he should be able to overwhelm him like he does most of his opponents, Navarrete. Moving out now to Riga, Latvia. Over here, a defense of Bradis's IBF World Cruiserweight title. Maris Bradis, 27-1. The one loss came to Alexander Usyk. He takes on Arta Mann, who's 17-1. Um, he got knocked out in his... I think he got knocked out in his one loss to Kevin Lorena, I want to say, if that's the right guy. That's over 12 rounds there. Again, I'd expect Bradis to win that hands down. Moving out now to the Newcastle Arena. This one's going to be on Sky Sports. Over here on the undercard, we have Bradley Ray, friend of the show, 10-0 in an eight-rounder against Jez Smith, 13-3 with a draw. Um, the brilliant story behind this fight is that Bradley Ray was looking for an opponent. Jez Smith called him out on Twitter. About three days later, the fight's made and it's happening. Fantastic to see. And note to self, don't call out Bradley Ray because he will throw a contract your way within about 24 hours or or maybe 30 hours and you, you'll have a contract in front of you. So uh, that's cool. Um, elsewhere on the card, Lewis Ritson, 21-2 in a good fight against Hank Lundy, 31-9 with a draw, over eight rounds there. That that has got points written all over it for me, but Lewis Ritson hasn't looked fantastic since moving up to 140, and Hank Lundy, we know, had a decent fight, albeit losing, but a decent fight against Jose Zepeda last time out. He's certainly not done, and we know he's a tough, tough guy. I think he's only been stopped by Crawford. Um, he might have been stopped once, once more, but I'm not sure. Um, should be a great fight. All the best to Hank Lundy. He's a friend of the show, so I'm supporting him in that one. Chris Eubank Jr. gets out as well, 30-2 and two in a 10-rounder against a late replacement, Wanik Aldijan, who's 28-1. and one. Um, It was, again, the, the third man that, he, that Eubank was supposed to have fought this month because the, the two opponents he had for about two weeks ago all fell through, of course. Uh, then he's now got this guy, Wanik Aldijan, completely padded record. Almost reminds me of Arnold the Cobra, who David Hay fought years ago, that Arnold Gerjaj guy where he managed to get like 28 or 29 or 30 wins against complete unheard of people. That is pretty much what Aldijan's done. So Eubank Jr. should should obliterate this guy here. Um, we've got a female world title fight. Savannah Marshall, 10-0, taking on Lolita Musea, who's 16-0 over 10 two-minute rounds there. Um, 
again, I'm expecting Marshall to have too much for Mazea. I'm, I'm expecting a KO. Uh, Mazea really and truly, even though she's undefeated, she is really and truly a welterweight. She's moving up here to middleweight. And Savannah Marshall's big, you know. That that should not go the distance. And I'm not sure if it's the main event, but I'm going to I'm gonna treat it as if it is the main event. Um, a heavyweight attraction, Huey Fury, 25-3 and three in a 12-rounder against Christian Hammer, 26-7. and seven. Um, since being knocked out by Tyson Fury all those years ago, Christian Hammer has proved himself quite a capable uh, fighter, really. You know, going the distance with the likes of Luis Ortiz and and Alexander Povetkin should be interesting. It's a very tough test, I think, for Huey Fury there. But if he is a good fighter, if he if he has it, then he should beat Christian Hammer. So I'm pulling for Fury to win, of course. Um, he shouldn't. You know, he should come through with flying colours. He, he shouldn't really be troubled too much from Hammer. It shouldn't be a close fight. Um, he should come through this fight here, but it's a it's a good it's a good it's a good kind of fight for him. I I, I quite like it. It's a it's a good fight. Um, all the best to Huey Fury. I think he wins that on points. Again, if you want to back what I'm saying here, if you want to uh, you know maybe place a bet, I'm saying Fury points, Savannah Marshall knockout, Chris Eubank Jr. knockout, Ritson and Lundy. I think that goes the distance. Um, so they're my picks on that one there. Um, Moving out now to Fresno, California, USA. This one's going to be on the zone. We have on the undercard the prospect undefeated Diego Pacheco, 12-0 in an eight-rounder against Lucas De Abrao, who's 12-0. Both 12-0. Somebody's on must go over eight rounds there. We've got Mark Castro, 3-0 in a six-rounder. The prospect uh, gets in with Angel Luna, who's 14-7 with a draw. We've got Nikita Ababi, 10-0 in an eight-rounder against Sani Duvison, who's 11-4 four with two draws seen that name before can't remember where um, we've got Jesse Bam Rodriguez the brother of Joshua Franco he was supposed to be boxing for a world title the fight's fallen through he now gets in with Jose Borgos who's 18 and four with a draw that's over 10 rounds there uh, Jesse Bam Rodriguez 13 and 0 we've got Brock Jarvis 19 and 0 in a 10 rounder against Alejandro Rodriguez 13 and four with two draws um, we've got Elwin Soto, 19-1, defending his WBO World Light Flyweight title against Jonathan Gonzalez, 24-3 with a draw. And the main event, the main attraction, one of my favorite fighters in the world, Mikey Garcia, returns to the ring 40-1, the one loss, of course, to Errol Spence in a 10-rounder here against Spain's very own Sandor Martin, 38-2. Um, combining them records, that is a combination there of 78 wins, 3 losses. Sandor Martin, a little bit padded, not a bad fighter at all. Um, I think he beat, I think he beat a Brit last time out, if I'm not mistaken. I'm sure he beat, um, I think it was Kay Prosper. Um, but you know, he is, he's a good fighter, but there are levels. And for me, Mikey Garcia is... A fabulous fighter, one of the very best pound-for-pound pound fighters in the world. However, we haven't seen too much of him since losing to Errol Spence. I know he had the fight with Jesse Vargas, he won that one. Um, but he has been very inactive and he has blown up in weight. I've seen pictures of him where he looks very rounded, let's say. Um, so to come down and drop the weight off and stuff like that. I'm not sure what weight this one is at, by the way. I should probably check it out because um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's at, you know... 147 at least or maybe even 154 even though he should never really be at that kind of weight Mikey Garcia just to double check uh, the weight for this one is 
at welter. Okay, okay. But yeah, I think he's going to have too much for Sandor Martin. I'd expect a comfortable win there for Mikey Garcia, perhaps even a stoppage. I've flown through the preview part there. Uh, of course, in, in part one, we did the review part. We brought you a guest. Um, and in part two, we've done the, or I've done the news part and the preview, and I've just whizzed through there. The final thing for me to do now is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 313 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge thank you to our special guest, the new British super welterweight champion, Troy Williamson. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. There has been a couple of pieces of news break whilst we've been recording the show. The Ritson vs. Lundy fight is reportedly off due to Ritson falling ill at the last minute. I'm gutted for Hank Lundy that. I think was going to be a great, great fight. In other news, Kid Galahad is making his first defence of his IBF featherweight world title on November 13th against Kiko Martinez in Sheffield. So that's a a homecoming there for Galahad. Um, On the undercard, Terry Harper defends her title against America's Alicia Baumgardner. Um, Chris Billum Smith and Hopi Price also to feature on that undercard there amongst others. On December 4th Frank Warren will stage the Arthur Yard 2 rematch at the Copper Box in London. No undercard announced just yet but what a fight that's going to be. And finally I'd like to thank our sponsors Manscaped. Remember to visit manscaped.com and use the promo code BOXHARD for 20% off plus free shipping. You will find some amazing products on there if you haven't already looked and you probably didn't think you'd need them but trust me i i I will guarantee they are worth every single penny especially with that 20 percent off code but that's about everything from myself enjoy your weekends people stay safe and we shall see you all again next week